The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. Greetings, scribes. Just a quick break to recommend our recent sponsor's Book of the Month. Book of the Month makes reading better by offering members a few new book selections each month to help you cut through the noise, save time, and make it easier to decide what to read next. Each month, the editorial team reads through hundreds of new titles and picks five to seven of the best new books for you to choose from. All of these books are good, so you really can't go wrong. Book of the Month helps readers like you and I find books that we wouldn't normally discover on our own. The cool part is selections largely focus on new and upcoming authors in multiple genres. Book of the Month also recently launched curated audiobooks, so members can get a hardcover or an audiobook each month, which you can then download and listen to right in the app. This month, I chose A Little Supernatural Fair in Murder Road by New York Times bestselling author Simone St. James, described as the story of a young couple that find themselves haunted by a string of gruesome murders committed along an old deserted road in this terrifying new novel. Just go to bookofthemonth.com to pick your first book and join Book of the Month. That's bookofthemonth.com. And for a limited time, you can join and get that first book for just $9.99 with the code CHIRP. That's C-H-I-R-P. Enjoy. Rainmaker FM. Hey there, and welcome back to The Writer Files. I am still your host, Kelton Reed. And in part two of this file, the editor-in-chief of Copyblogger, my colleague and friend Stephanie Flaxman returned to chat with me about her journey from solopreneur to headline honcho, the rules of ruthless editing, her philosophy of creativity, and much more. Steph's a professional writer and editor who manages the editorial team for Copyblogger.com, where she publishes one of the most popular and influential content marketing and writing blogs out there for a very large audience of online writers. A longtime contributor to the Copyblogger community, she officially joined the team in 2014 with a mission to help ensure stringent editorial standards and create content aimed at helping fellow entrepreneurs stand out from the competition. Steph's weekly podcast, Editor-in-Chief, that ran from 2015 to 2016, delivered her signature art of writing updated for marketing in the digital age. And before Copyblogger, Steph ran her own online writing and editing shop, Revision Ferry, which she started in 2008. She's also done stints as the West Coast office manager for Media Bistro and an editor for PR Newswire. In part two of this file, Steph and I discuss my very first day as a copywriter at Copyblogger. Why you're never as nervous as your first guest post for a huge online audience, the inefficiency of perfectionism, Steph's philosophy of writer's block, responsibility tangents, and creativity, why so much of the writing process doesn't involve actual writing, and one great hack to jumpstart your own writing. And if you missed the first half of this show, you can find it in the archives at writerfiles.fm, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you tune in, and in the show notes. Stay tuned. The Writer Files is brought to you by the all-new Studio Press Sites, a turnkey solution that combines the ease of an all-in-one website builder with the flexible power of WordPress. It's perfect for authors, bloggers, podcasters, and affiliate marketers, as well as those selling physical products, digital downloads, and membership programs. If you're ready to take your WordPress site to the next level, see for yourself why over 200,000 website owners trust StudioPress. Go to rainmaker.fm slash studiopress now. That's rainmaker.fm slash studiopress. And if you're a fan of the writer files, 
please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published. And if people don't know your point of view, why would they connect? You know, they can't connect with it and they probably won't even pay attention to it. So there's all this balance stuff uh, with content marketing. But we have if you can be philosophical, but have the goals, like you said, that is kind of like striking that balance that I think helps with with audience building. For sure. Well, it sets you apart as a writer because, you know, there is a lot of bad writing out there and there's a lot of great writing that never gets seen too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you yeah, know, there's, definitely. it's kind of interesting to get a glimpse into your, your thought processes and your brain because it makes sense to me kind of the way you write and why copy blogger brought you on board. I mean, like you said, Brian's writing is very, it's very savvy uh, because mm-hmm. it it's employs a lot of these things that we write about, but don't always, you know, that, that content marketers aren't necessarily always tapping, you know, it's like, anyway. I yeah, go, no, I, it, yeah, <laughs> it definitely is. And of course I have to mention back in the day, you know, I loved Sonia's writing too. Sonia Simone. Sonia Simone, yeah, um, and it, it's such an honor that I work so closely with her now, and we're uh, we have like a similar sense of humor, and we joke yeah. a lot, and it, it's really fun because I I felt that way when I started reading her writing, but it's like you have no idea what if you're actually going to get along with someone or or something. But sure. Sonia and I get along really well, and we have a lot of fun. So I, I, I want to uh, tell you a very funny story about my my very first day. At copy blogger because um, I, I had actually started like as a basically like an intern you know I was doing odd jobs in the mail room um, mm-hmm. long ago before I started full-time as a copywriter and I show up because Brian had moved to Boulder and Sonia's in Denver I'm in Denver and we had one other Beth Hayden was on staff at the time so we had our first editorial meeting and we all met at the Boulder office. There used to be a, uh, a physical Boulder office where you could go and work. Mm-hmm. And uh, I show up. I, I know I'm completely hijacking the conversation here. But I show up. No, no, I'm so interested. <laughs> I show up literally with nothing but a paper notebook. And everyone sits down at this conference in this conference room. You know, it's kind of like a little hoity-toity, you know, glassed in conference room, Mm -hmm. you know, places to plug in your laptop everywhere and whiteboards and projectors. And and so I sit down and everyone's got their laptops open, you know, their MacBooks. Yeah. And I'm just sitting there with a paper (laughs) notebook. (laughs) And Brian looks at me and he goes, you do know this is an internet company, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) And I was just like... Oh um, yeah, I guess I don't really look the part here, do I? I'm just I'm a I'm an analog guy. I take notes on paper still. And uh it was really funny. It was like I never showed up to a meeting without a laptop after that, obviously. <laughs> you make a note in your notebook, bring laptop yeah. to next meeting. Yeah. But meeting Brian and Sonia for the first time like in the flesh was uh like you said, it was kinda it's like you don't know these like you can't really get a great sense of people people's personalities necessarily like in real life from reading their content. 
mm-hmm. uh, or reading, you know, anything, their journalism or their fiction or whatever. Like until you are face to face with somebody in the flesh, like you, How, you, yeah, you, you don't, don't really know. You tell yourself stories probably about what they're like, right? You probably had a different idea of what, what Sonia was like. I, it's so, Sonia, it's so fun to her writing is so her so i mean again not that anyone who reads her writing automatically you know knows her but it's like i don't really even know if i had an idea of what of what they were like maybe i did but um yeah i really or robert too you know i didn't know we were gonna get along like i had an idea that we would but i think it was more ideas of us getting along rather than what the what the people were like because i did in my head and it just happened to be true i don't think that's true a lot of the time i will give make this situation very special because Hmm. or even i don't know maybe now with youtube personalities let's just say you know, people think, oh, I love this YouTuber or this or that. I watch a lot of YouTube. That's why I think <laughs> about this stuff. But I feel like probably those people aren't what people think they are. I don't know. Maybe sure. they are. Maybe they aren't. But um, but you broadcast, like you said, you, you kind of broadcast a, a personality mm-hmm, mm-hmm. through, you know, obviously whatever medium. But in, in real life, you know, I mean, obviously these are incredibly intelligent people that, that we work with and their their writing's great it's very it's got a very knife edge kind of quality to it but but yeah it's i definitely know what you're saying i mean all of even on copy blogger brian's writing sonia's writing my writing you're writing you know we there are versions of our personalities but, sure. the, but those versions are true as well so i think that's why i i mean to me it was just lucky that we all that we all actually get along and we all sure. have similar yeah. <laughs> sensibilities yeah. and uh, and stuff like that. And I just, you know, I read, I didn't, it's not like I read Copyblogger for a month and then I was like, I'm qualified <laughs> right. and, I, and I fit in with you guys. You know, it was um, six years before I actually worked for the company and I think about five, uh, after five years of reading the website is when I started guest posting. Yeah. So. You were probably ne- not ever as nervous as that first blog post, right? Oh, that first blog post is scary. Or waiting, yeah. to, or waiting to get some feedback on it. Yeah, I, I remember that. Oh, the trepidation. Yeah, it, that's again things I take for granted now because I, I'm in the habit of writing so much for Copy Blogger. Yeah, but yeah, that first one it was about it was about five years ago from today. That's wild. Yeah, and your and your your process has probably changed. Mm-hmm. quite a bit i would imagine yeah well you've I, written uh, about it how you don't well you know i'll go to that great quote i quoted you recently i'd have to pull it up you did i edited it a little bit since it was me i was like i can change what i said yeah no it's great it's great because what i've just grabbed it offhand from literally from an editorial meeting i just scribbled it down amateurs it was mm-hmm. am- the amateurs and professionals quote yeah yeah only amateurs have time to obsess there you go. And then I added some other things. It's something like professionals have have to meet deadlines and they have to get comfortable with what's good enough and then moving on because you have your next deadline. But so for the first copy blogger post, it's like nothing else in the world 
existed in my world. Other <laughs> right. than, um, you know, and I did the nerves. I wanted yeah. it to be good. You know, it's like your chance. It's like your big break. Yeah. So at that point, you know, what I, ne- I had never written for the site before. And Robert, you know, asked me, hey, can you write something on editing? I wanted it to be my best work. And it was my best work at the time. I can say that confidently. But also five years later, obviously, I've had a lot more experience and my writing styles changed. Uh, I, there's like a lot of some, I, I found something. I was trying to Google a quote and it came up on my own website. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's funny. Funny. So I was like, oh, that's, that's my website. I guess I wrote about this quote six years ago. And there were elements from something I wrote in 2012 that are still very similar to how I write today. There's no substitute for the experience that just makes you more prolific. And now that it is, I wrote once a week for a revision ferry for a decent amount of time. But in copy blogger environment, it, it just completely, it, it's different. I didn't have coworkers when I worked, when I worked for myself. Yeah. Um, you know, and I was managing myself and now, you know, I manage different things. So it's kind of going back to that judgment call uh, thing. We kind of went full circle. I think a really big skill that is important to develop is to know when you need to obsess a little bit and fine tune and when it's really better off to wait because um, it's not right yet and when the time is right to just know it's done and you have to go ahead. Having being working on the skill of that having that judgment or kind of having that discerning quality I think is really important because I, I use it every day you know I have to assess is this worth obsessing over or is this good enough and we need to just move on because it's like um, mm-hmm. you know that old like I love Lucy candy on the, the conveyor belt like the chocolates on the conveyor <laughs> belt that just yeah. keep coming she's <laughs> trying to eat them She's trying to eat them because they just keep going faster. Right. Um, so when you're in that environment, but I do that. Yeah, there are still times that I will obsess over things because I think it's the right thing to do. And then other you have to make other judgment calls very quickly when you're working in a professional creative environment where it's just, OK, you know, this is this is good enough. The benefit is going to come from releasing rather than holding back. So yeah. And, yeah. and that takes um, it just takes time and practice. But I'm hap- I'm really I'm proud of that growth. And I remember, I actually remember another writer, one of my mentors in creative writing at uh, University of Colorado used to say, you know, keep editing until the words stop moving on the page. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's a, there's a place where you have to, you just have to let it go, right? You can't obsess to the point of, you know, where it's taking you hours and hours and hours to edit something because you you know you know though when you yeah you know what the what the kind of the critical mass of well like when you've plateaued with what you can yeah like do. changes that like i get to a point where i'm like oh i got i think of three more things that i want to change or link to or and then i'm like you know what no you gotta let it yeah go. it, yeah you can't yeah, go back just... in there like it lets somebody else look at it uh, right. Yeah. I think writers always know that point, but I think it just takes a lot of practice and experience to get comfortable with it because early on you don't want to let it go a lot of times. And it's, re- and it's also determining if you're just holding back because of fear or ego of not being good enough, or if there really is a time to wait another day. 
Mm-hmm. I'm usually a big fan of waiting. So I, I can go too far on that side sometimes where even if responding to an email, I need to think about it a little bit more. Um, if I'm not ready, I don't feel pressure to you know, finish a draft or like, I need a little more time to think about that thing. Someone's asking me, I'm not going to respond right away. And it, even though I, I just said I can get a little too far in that way, it, I'd say 99% of the time, 99% of the time it has served me to wait, but that's not, I'm not waiting out of fear. I'm waiting out of, I really need to think about this a little more clearly, but sometimes you can wait out of fear to publish or whether it's fear of criticism or I, 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 that's probably just the biggest one. Um, yeah. Anxiety that anxiety. all creatives feel. And really what we're talking about is the creative process. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're just talking around the creative process. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what it is. Um, but I think about that all the time of how it all works, how it all comes together. Yeah. Well, you're such a philosopher. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, I got the Liz Gilbert quote on the inefficiency of perfectionism. I abide by Goethe's rule. Never hurry, never rest. I never go into crazy fugue states, but I don't stop either. I'm a plow mule. I'm very disciplined. I have a great regard for deadlines, usually my own. Our mother taught us not to become perfectionists, which is where a lot of procrastination and time wasting occurs. Nothing is less efficient than perfectionism. Her great adage, which I still adhere to, was done is better than good. Yeah, it's it's that middle ground, I think, a lot where you're not. I do think that, I don't know, it can. There's a lot in the creative process that I've seen because, again, I working with with writers over the years where people either rush things or they hold back too much. Mm. And I think, I don't know if that's exactly what she was talking about, but it's either like, I want to do this and I'm doing it now and I'm writing it in an hour and then I'm publishing it. And well, why does no one care? And well, you know, then they don't get a response. (laughs) It's like, well, it's kind of sloppy or people hold back too much and wait years and years and years, like trying to write their perfect thing. And I think what she's talking about is finding that middle ground of if you're consistently putting out, you're just automatically working on that skill of am I holding back because of fear or am I holding back because it really needs more time? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, only the writer can answer that. And it depends on the circumstance. Sure. Of what they're up to. Well, I mean, that probably brings us to the writer's block question and, and whether or not you believe in it. And uh, so, yeah, do you believe in writer's block? Have you ever had it? I have a very similar view um, to one of your other guests, your friend, um, Adam Skolnick. Uh, he Hi, Adam. told you. Hi, Adam. <laughs> um, We've never met, but hello. I agree with your view of writer's block. Um, and I'm, I hope, no, I am getting this right because I made a note of it. So I didn't get it wrong. Um, he he said that if you're struggling to write, it's because you don't know what you want to say, mm-hmm. or that was his experience with writer's block. Yeah, and that has that experience resonates with me. It's it's sort of like that drafting outline anxiety producing phase that I was talking about. Until I know what I'm going to say, or really what the point is, because I'll have sort of a vague 
idea of what I what I'm writing about each week. Um, but until I actually sort of have maybe a little bit of an introduction, maybe even the conclusion uh, and an outline, I kind of feel like I'm just a little on edge. Um, but part of my process, just to get on a small tangent, is I know what I'm going to be writing about for each week. Uh, and I just put it in the back of my brain, like you also said earlier, how sort of the wheels are turning and marinating in there. So I'm like, okay, this is a topic. I'm going to let my subconscious do the work, which is you, you've talked about before on the writer files. Um, yeah. Oh, a lot. Definitely. Yeah. So I can put that in my head and I know it's there, but until I actually, until it actually does its work for me, I'm, I'm on edge. So once I have that outline or rough draft, I have to actually be careful not to get too comfortable because I did write about this on Copyblogger recently. I can get a little uh, cocky and be like, oh, that's not going to take that long to write mm -hmm. because, oh, I have a draft and I know what I'm going to say. And I've been doubling the time that I set aside to actually finish drafts um, lately. Hmm. That was a mm -hmm. 2018 resolution because what I found was I would, um, it's not really cocky, but it just sort of, I had this idea of, oh, that won't take that long. But things do take long because when you're actually working, so much happens that you can't uh, predict creatively. And I go on research tangents when, in theory, if I was just finishing the draft, yeah, maybe it will take me an hour, hour and a half. But um, if I start fact-checking something or I look up the spelling of someone's name and then I'm interested, oh, they dated that person for 10 years and you know, in the 1800s or um, whatever it was, you know, some person in history. Yeah. And just little seeds that I'm planting for future things that I might want to write about or make connections. So I'm doing work, but it's future work. And so I've been, when I actually am putting the butt in chair time to make the draft presentable to someone other than me. Uh, I've doubled how much time I need because, because I, I need it if I want to have that creative time too. Mm, and mm -hmm. so it is going back to the creative processes. Well, how do you schedule creative time? And I think for me, it's leaving more time, uh, even if in theory it will, it would only take me an hour, hour and a half to, finish something. So writer's block, I do, I had it, I did have it last week, even when I had a draft written, I struggled with sometimes things just come so much more easily than other. it depends on the day. It depends on how tired you are. It depends on how much other work yeah. you did and what the, what, how that work went. Like I could do four hours of work before I start writing. And if it's all really smoothly and went as planned, you know, I might, have more energy but if <laughs> right. I did four hours of work and it was bumps in the roads and weird things coming up it's a four hours of work that's a lot more draining sure yeah um, you're always like in the back of your mind I think probably like me thinking okay the, here's the block of time what's gonna do what do you think is gonna derail this <laughs> today <right. laughs> like what's that email that's gonna derail my process here and right. how do I how do I avoid it <laughs> or exactly. cut it off at the pass? Yeah, getting ahead, uh, preventing things before preventative. They get 
<laughs> yeah, before they get to be problems. Because it's not just creative tangents that you go on with, uh, with during your writing time. It's also responsibility tangents. Right. Um, that that pop up and you can't avoid. Well, that is and- interesting. Something we've talked about quite a bit in our day to day kind of back and forth about stuff that we've written is that it doesn't always turn out the way we planned either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you don't know until those are my like focused writing time sessions. That's when it doesn't matter what my draft or outline looks like. It takes its form during those really focused concentration times. Um, and I, I, yeah, I've gotten comfortable with trusting that it turns out the way it needs to be or what is really there all along, but you didn't see it like that, which is a fun thing that I've been thinking about lately because I wrote down all these notes and I go back and forth between physical notebooks and just, um, plain text edit files, mm-hmm. um, just completely plain text files. And I don't really have a system for keeping track of it, but I just know, uh, where they are. So I wrote down all <laughs> these physical notes in a notebook and then when it came time to write the draft, I didn't even look at it because yeah. all of that was just the process of it and what it actually needed to be was something else that I could just write without looking at those notes. I love that. It's, it's really it's really interesting. That's why I'm so fascinated with this stuff because... Well, I think the handwriting piece uh, trains your brain to concentrate on the material on the information so if you're doing research and you're writing i don't know i don't know how you do it but i definitely will research and then scribble like crazy on like a legal pad like what i assume would be an outline Mm -hmm. but then yeah like you said i don't i'm not always looking back at that outline it becomes more real once it once those words are actually or you know the information's kind of as you said incubating and then you yeah. almost don't you almost don't need the 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 handwritten s- stuff. It's almost yeah, scrawled it, into your brain. Yeah, it's part of the learning process. Um I've you know getting to know what type of learner you are and I'm definitely I need to process things by writing th- them down myself. Mm-hmm. Like not just looking at it, but and it's a kind of a security blanket too because I can always go back to those notes that I made. And sort of use them as a starting point. For sure. Uh, and I do that. I do that often. It was just this really unique time. Well, it, it wasn't super rare. I don't know. It's different every time, which is part <laughs> of why it's, this is really fun work. Um, even though it is uh, hard work and brain consuming and time consuming where I didn't have to. But I love having that I wrote stuff down if I need it. But it is really fun when that's sort of the base of it and then it transforms into what it really needs to be, which could look different from what you planned. Um, And a lot of the times it is. Or like the the last post uh, that I wrote of this recording that you talked about, the seven seven unusual signs on the path to a breakthrough. Mm -hmm. That idea came and I didn't really know how I wanted to approach it you know, just from a headline idea like that, there are different ways that it could have gone. And maybe this isn't the best example. But, <laughs> um, but I do remember when I outlined that post, it was that 
is an example of that relief feeling because I knew what direction that was going in. Yeah. I knew how I wanted to approach those signs. I knew what I wanted to say. Yeah. Well, it's a testament to how important outlining is for allaying not only the, your own anxiety about, you know, how are you going to, like you going back to the Skolnick quote, how are you going to break down that infinite blank page into manageable chunks mm -hmm. that you can then fill in? Because it's uh, nothing. I mean, it, we really start with nothing, right? Right. Well, I mean, we're, we're really talking about creativity and the creative process and our own process for, and your process for just writing and, and creating. So uh, how would you say, personally, you define creativity? I've been thinking a lot about this recently. and I mean, we've kind of done it, but in a very roundabout yeah. way. Um, well, I'm fascinated at this point in sort of my career about creativity professionally and how one can make that work. Um, so I think that creativity is a an ability that everyone has, but self-indulgent people get to use it professionally. Mm. And I don't mean self-indulgent <laughs> in a bad way. I just think it, it takes so much introspection, I feel like, that one, it doesn't mean that it come your work comes across as self-indulgent. I'd say you're actually successful if it doesn't, or that you're not serving others in being so it's not one or the other. I just think it requires a lot of self-indulgence to include creativity in your profession. But mm -hmm. at the same time, you could be serving others and have your work not appear. Uh, completely narcissistic. <laughs> um, and, and that's sort of the beauty of it, that that creative work can come from a very narcissistic place and then not appear that way at all to people and actually have it serve other people um, where it looks selfless or I don't know. But I do think part of working professionally in a, in a creative profession is a lot of self-indulgence sure but i mean that when you say self-indulgence it kind of has a negative connotation when in truth you know part of the creative process really is about you know the the productive procrastination piece or mm -hmm. you know le again going back to kind of letting your letting your brain do some of the work in the background for you which is you know kind of that default mode we talk about in neuroscience it's like how you process information is by not actually thinking about it, but letting your brain and your neuronal networks kind of pr do it somehow for you. Yeah, which you is know? a lot of like you and trusting in you <laughs> and, sure. and your own brain's ability. Sure. I mean, so many writers talk about, you know, like so much of their work really doesn't look like work at all um, yeah. because they're pacing or they're, you know, walking or, you know, things are things are happening while you're doing other things. Important things are happening in your brain while you're taking a shower because you know, mm -hmm. you can focus on something else that's completely, you know, unrelated and then suddenly you have a breakthrough um creatively. So, I don't know. What makes a writer great in your estimation? They're good at editing. Interesting. They are a uh, a sharp editor. I like I that. Think that. Yeah. All right, succinct. Um, <laughs> what uh, do you have a uh, like many, many, many writers do? Do you have a 
a best love quote kind of hanging over your desk or burned into your I mind? have a I have a love-hate relationship with quotes because they do inspire me, but I guess I shouldn't I shouldn't hate on them. I just this is part of art that I find very interesting. I I approach quotes with a bit of caution um, because I think what's so interesting about art is that the way that it's interpreted by an audience can be very different from what the artist intends to, to do. And, you know, which is real. Is it the artist's intention is the way people interpret it? So I could think of a quote that I like and it mean could mean something to me or I really, you know, it has such a emotional impact on me. And then the artist or uh, whoever created it had a completely different worldview that made them write that, a completely different emotion. So it's kind of like, well, what's real? And I think it could be, this is getting philosophical again, but I mean, it could be both. It doesn't have to be one um, or the other. Uh, <laughs> so I, do, I think if I had a quote that I love, it would be anything from Leonard Cohen. I really like songwriters. Mm. Yeah, um, well, and he was a, a an existential character um very very in a very literary way but he was uh buddhist right yeah yeah i think at least for some time and i i know he was a meditator um for sure so uh yeah i like the way he put he put words together so it'd be some probably something but there are tons of tons of other ones that's interesting because because quotes are so funny for people because you know they're obviously taken out of context (laughs) from the original conversation from you know and we rely we always rely on like quotes from antiquity that are like if they're writing or creativity related um but they could be from conversations that really had almost nothing to do whatsoever (laughs) with the subject when we put when we take them out of a context from like uh a century ago and then (laughs) plop them into our writing and we're like yes and ponder this fantastic quote by yeah well what's the truth i think it's so interesting and i think it could be all of it you know like i said the way you interpret it who knows what they meant um i have some i won't reveal what they are but i have some song lyric tattoos um that i got before i started writing prolifically um and i don't regret them because i don't regret any of my tattoos but now that's so weird to me that I would do that knowing that so much of my writing is out there. And that would be so weird if someone did that because they liked my writing. Not that, you know, anyone would do that with my writing. But um, I definitely got a little um, <laughs> a little cringy about the fact that I did that with words that someone else wrote. And I'd wanted them for like 10 years before I, I got them. So it wasn't a impulsive decision but i didn't realize that i would you know but i don't that's kind of separate conversation about the evolution of art when it's uh on a person that evolves i wrote a book about that actually <laughs> this has turned into a very philosophical <laughs> right? discussion I wrote, I wrote of a philosophy the universe of and everything <laughs> are we talking were we, were we talking about <laughs> writing 
I can't even remember. Is this the writer file? <laughs> oh, wait, wrong room. <laughs> Let me bring it full circle at uh, one hour and 15 minutes. Um, so, uh, yeah, so before we wrap up with your, anything else you want to share with your fellow scribes and about how to keep, keep it rolling, um, do you have time to do a, a fun one? Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, let's just say, if you could choose any author from any era for an all-expense-paid dinner to your favorite spot in the world, who would you take and where would you take them? I can't do that one, and I'll tell you why, but it's very <laughs> related. It's very related to what we've been talking about. And I have learned through my experience or, uh, yeah, through experience or my own growth as a writer, I really separate the work from the creator or the artist. And to me, the work can stand alone and I can appreciate it so much. And that doesn't really make me want to know the person who created it. Hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah. I don't, I'm not fascinated with that anymore. I can appreciate the work and be like, that person is really talented. I love what they created, but I don't have this desire to, oh, I'd really like to meet that person or talk to that person about how they got that way. I just, um, it, the focus is, it's on the work and, and it's, the person is not as interesting to me as it maybe once was. Interesting. Interesting. Well, it probably goes back to our talk about amateurs versus professionals and sentimentality or like being too precious about, yeah, yeah. about the words. I mean, I've spoken with Adam Skolnick at length to bring him back into it about, you know, I mean, professional journalists don't have time to be precious or sentimental you know they're just trying to they're just trying to get paid um right it's a job yeah yeah but anyway that was reductive um i love it okay so uh do you have any do you have any weird writer's fetishes um do you collect any mm, i don't i have uh Tons of moleskin notebooks. Yes, like, you did um, mention I that. said, in all different sizes. Those are probably I have three different piles on my desks. Um, I I organize them sometime in probably the past six months into three different piles, so I know which ones are which because they all look the same, yeah. and I don't really want a more or organized system. But I know like which pile has which type of stuff. <laughs> Okay. Um, and, and it kind of all blurs together, but I have different things. If I'm working on something for, for revision fairy, that's like a different pile. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for that's... my copy blogger work. But again, it all sort of goes together. Um, I, I decide later where it goes. That, um, that's I a, think. that's an expensive fetish. <laughs> yeah. They're <laughs> the not, moleskin. They're not, yeah, they're not super, um, cheap i i really like the way that they're bound and they make yeah. these cute small ones that fit well in a purse even though i have been using my phone just the notes uh app on my phone a lot more than i used to huh um, yeah because it sinks uh, now or uh yeah i yeah i do have that that is fairly recent and i also um I've found 10 years in to doing this regularly. Um, I found my brain being in the past year a lot, even more kind of on and uh, creative than I felt in the past. Hmm. And I don't always have time to get to a notebook, but I usually have my phone near me. Yeah. Um, so I've been utilizing, um, you know, when I think of an idea for the, 
for a post, like not waiting or rewriting my headline idea down. And, uh, I have a ton of individual, uh, note things where before it would be like post ideas. And then like, I'd write two things and forget about it for (laughs) five years. And I'd see the last time I opened it was like June 11th, 2011 or whatever. So yeah, so that's kind of been a change, uh, recently. All right. Well, before we uh, sign off here, do you want to offer any advice to your fellow writers out there on, on just how to how to keep going, how to keep the ink flowing? I um I had to use one of my old tricks the other day, which I thought was kind of fun because you never really outgrow things or techniques that you used at the, at the beginning of when you were starting your path can still come in handy ten years later. And something that I like to do is I I listen to music with lyrics when I write, which a lot of writers don't like because it's hmm. distracting. Mm-hmm. Um, I find it very inspirational. If I'm editing, I probably don't want to. But and sometimes if I write without music on, it's an accident. It's because I sat down to write like one thing I needed to get out. And then again, an hour passed and I realized that I just had to keep going. Um, but intentional writing sessions uh, do I listen to Pandora and hmm. if I'm feeling stuck, I just start typing out the lyrics to whatever song is playing. That's cool. Um, yeah, not to plagiarize them. It doesn't actually go into my work. But once I start doing that, it's almost kind of like a, a meditation hmm. being present exercise because then I'm not thinking about, I don't know what to say. I'm actually writing. And... It yeah. leads into what I am actually trying to say or like some sort of draft. So uh, cool. if you're stuck, I would even if you're not listening to music, just start typing out lyrics to a song that you like. That's really helped me a lot. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's an interesting I'd be interested to hear what the uh, actual neuroscience on that is. But it sounds like a brain training exercise that could kind of get you get you going, jumpstart you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like yeah. It. I like Very it. Very simple. Yeah. All right, Steph. Well, it has been a pleasure having you on. And of course, I will link to your author page at copyblogger.com. And really, I think for probably any of the authors at Copyblogger, you can just Google Copyblogger and Stephanie Flaxman, um, and it'll usually pop right up. And uh, yeah, I'll link to the Revision Fairy up the archives of editor-in-chief um that great podcast and uh is there anywhere else you want to point listeners to connect with you out there those three are perfect yeah that's um a lot thank you thank you for doing that steph it's been so much fun i always love rapping with you nerding out about (laughs) about the uh the stuff the words the words. Yeah. Thank you for having me again. If I could go back, uh, five years and know that I was going to be talking to you today about this, I'd be like, how would that happen? And the writer files is in a podcast. It's a series on coffee. <laughs> right. Right. I just be like totally mind blown that, uh, but, uh, but thank you. It is. Cool. Been, it's been a lot of fun and, a, and an honor. Truly the honor is all on this side. 
And uh, no, I really appreciate you taking the time. And I'm sure, I'm sure that listeners will get something out of this fantastic existential um, <laughs> philosophical discussion that we've had. So uh, yeah, I look forward to talking to you again sometime soon. Very cool. Thank you so much, Kelton. Thanks so much for joining us for this half of a tour of the writer's process. If you enjoy The Writer Files, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts to help other writers find us. And for more episodes or just to leave a comment or a question, you can always drop by writerfiles.fm and chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week. Bye.